for the weekend? I'll be there when the light fades out. Are you ready for the season? For your own safekeeping? Everybody got demons. And whenever you're around, I'll feed them. Tell me how you're down this evening. She said, ooh. She said, nah, nah, nah. So what you wanna do, do, do? I'm coming for you in a new bar. Little lady said, ooh. Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? Uh, how's everyone going? This is T. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. And we have with us Kenny. Hey, what's up, guys? You can catch me on Twitter at Black Sports NW. Yeah. How you doing, man? Good. I can't complain. Yeah. Um, last time we were talking, we left off talking about um, how these people do a lot of therapy and stuff and how they're kind of using how, how a lot of these um black shea butter like blue check blavity buzzfeed type of black people are you know they're kind of bringing therapy to a lot of problems that can't be solved with therapy like you know systemic racism and how it kind of ruins the scope and it just ends up with this constant please understand this white people uh like, you know, like the thing anti-racism is a about fixing their self-esteem and self-image, you know, because a lot of therapies about that and about fixing broken relationships with white people by getting them to, like, you know, empathize or whatever. And and it's so much bigger than that. But uh, I wanted to know your thoughts so far about what we talked about in part one. Any takeaways you had? I felt like I kind of was talking a lot. I wanted to check in with you. Well, I, well, I, I think it was great. I mean, I think you have um paid a lot more attention to it to a different degree than than the rest of us and and also you're gonna be going to the play you know what i mean so and plus always you know i always give you a hard time about this but you live there in the middle of that stuff man you live in brooklyn yeah you know what i mean so you i live in portland and it is kind of like brooklyn light you know you guys are old english we're still miller light kind of you know what i mean like it's, it's it's heavy out there i know it is because I know a lot of from a lot of people from Portland that are actually moving there. So that I think your perspective, it kind of gives us a little bit of, um, you know, gives gives us our perspective to a certain degree because you're right there in the middle of it. But I think that, you know, I, from a historical precedent is what irritates me about it, because like I, I told you guys last night, I study history to the point where it became obsessive. So yeah, when I yeah. see certain certain issues and certain things like this, it really irritates me because, you know, 
I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I have three different versions of Frederick Douglass's autobiography. Yeah, people who don't and, know you uh, don't have any idea, but yeah, you're very well versed in uh, histories, uh, but particularly African American history. Absolutely, you know, history is my thing. Like on Twitter, I talk a lot about sports, you know. But like I said last night, when I first got on Twitter, I used to talk a lot about history, and I kind of, you know, stopped because of what I noticed was people don't care about the facts and the truth. They only yeah. care about what they care about. So once I started, I would, you know, get into these uh, conversations with people and go back and forth about history. And I, what I would always notice is that they would, they kept on using presentism. They kept on trying to think for the way we do today for people that existed 200 years ago. Yeah, cause I remember I remember one time we got into an argument about, you know, somebody was saying that Kanye stuff about uh, how black people were weak because they let themselves become enslaved. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember you got pissed about that. Like, Yeah, I got pissed like... about that because they didn't understand the dynamics of how slavery and trauma go hand in hand and how generational trauma can exist. So if you have been a slave since 1619, and if you're in the Caribbean, probably before that. So if you have been enslaved before then, that's all you know. So with your kids, 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 that's all they know. So it's just one of those things that really burned me up. A lot of these people won't even like stand up to their parents still or say shit to their boss. So how can you right. even... How can you even so how dare that? you speak about the dynamics of slavery that when if you even didn't do something right, you could get killed. You can get yeah. sold away. Your your children could be sold away. Like this isn't, and my whole thing is this, this isn't slavery like depicted in Roots. This isn't slavery as depicted in uh, 12 Years a Slave. We're talking about, you know, I, I think I, I um, told you guys about that book, Bartolo, Bartolome de la Casas, uh, The Destruction yeah. of the West Indies. We're talking about people, uh, people in the, in, in the West Indies who didn't at that time, in Hispaniola, they didn't know what a dog was. They, was. they didn't know anything about that. They didn't know anything about what the conquistadors and the, the Spaniards were going to, or not the conquistadors, but um, Christopher Columbus and his people were going to be bringing to the island. So we're talking about people that didn't know what swords were. And these people come to the, to the island as so-called settlers, and they would do things like test their swords on men and women just to see how sharp it was. You know, they would feed women's babies to dogs. You know, this is all being depicted by Bartolome de la Casas, who was a, a actually a pastor on the island. And he would he would document these things. So we're talking about the brutalist of the things you could ever think of that a human being could do to another human being. And we have another we have 200, 300 years later, people making slave play to express their sexual energy. Like, really? Like, that's just wrong, man. That's that's just not right. I mean, this is the biggest black eye on the on on humanity is slavery. And, you know, I don't want to and I don't like to go back and forth with people. Oh, what about the Arab slave trade? No, no, we're talking about a certain period that has led up to today. You know what I mean? Like, it is just it's just wrong. And the other thing is, even with the Arab slave trade. OK, so then there's two people you can uh, be upset with. Like, I, I yeah, put them get, get in line. Yeah, get, get, in, get in line. That just means there's more people to be. Um, they have stuff to answer for. It doesn't somehow let. Um, American people off the hook either. It's 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 a it's a weird it's a weird thing when they, when they say that because sometimes even black people try to tell you that this is a weird group of black people that try to cape for white people by bringing up the Arab slave trade and it's like, yeah oh yeah yeah I don't get it at oh all. yeah that's the Hotep argument you know yeah or anybody that the Fotep argument is all well what about the Arab slave trade why are you always talking about white people look if that's those the case guys, let's, yeah. it, it, those guys have no, no purpose those guys have no politics outside of contrarianism. 
That's all that's they want to do. That's, that's the they only... just want to be a contrarian. That's it. Yep. But you know, I'm you know, I'm not gonna let slavery get me down. I'm not gonna let racism get me down. It's not getting me down either. You know, they have this idea that we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. So you mean to tell me that I can't do my normal job, my normal work, and call out slave and call out white supremacy, racism? Those guys are so really? weird. Those guys are so weird though. They're the same ones that went to literally the same people that went to uh that, that Trump um Candace Owen event. Oh, yeah. And, stuff. and, and yeah. Then, then they even get end up getting banned from that. And then suddenly they're anti-Trump. Yeah. Like, or, or, or anti... It's all uh, about attention for them dudes. I've never seen so many grown men yeah. that need that kind of attention. It's really you know, and where is it going to go as far as Twitter? That's it. That, after that, then what? I know. And, and they act like they're like finessing people or... um playing chess instead of checkers that's like okay you're just looking you're just clout chasing that's not yeah you're clout chasing right that's, that's not politics that's not chess that's just attention but uh continue with the slave play thing um did you read this article by the creator of slave play uh that came out a couple I years did. ago I, I didn't read i didn't read all of it i, I did, pretty much did a lot of skimming and i know you told me a lot about uh what he was saying I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm just looking for places to, because this is kind of tough for me to read. Um, I don't want to read the whole thing. It's it's not it's not an easy read for me. Um, but the article is called "Decolonizing My Desire: How I Came to Grips with My Attraction to White Men." And I'm torn about this article because a lot of people attacked this article, but there's something about the honesty of it that you know it's a little bit unsettling but i appreciate it i i kind of wish more people would be this honest you know you know what i mean like yeah like yeah he's got a creepy level of self-awareness to him and one thing i will say about that young man he's not dumb he's not stupid he's not he's not dumb he's not dumb at all you know um but this is also kind of one of the traps of therapy and this comes yeah from, as someone that said he did it from the time he's 12 years old right um because therapy tries to um make you kind of self-aware and you know be aware of uh, your own um issues but it's not always a solution because some people just become really really aware and then just learn to become very hyper aware of their own bullshit but they don't actually like really fix it they just kind of um just get better at like weaponizing it or you know just become really really aware of everything bad about themselves i've met some like therapized people like that who the therapy has created a lot of self-awareness in them, but they haven't really worked on fixing it. They've just become, uh, I think you and I spoke once about people who just do a lot of therapy, but don't mm -hmm. really, don't really. Don't get anything out of it. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or they get something out of it as far as self-awareness maybe, but don't actually get anything out of it as far as changing um, pathology or, or changing relationships. They just. Using the tools. They don't use the tools in their regular life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't use the tools. They just get addicted to the uh, self insight or the self. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. It becomes kind of like like ma like masturbatory. Um, so th that's what I kind of feel like this guy is. He's talks about coming to grips with his attraction to white men, but he doesn't really seem, from what I've seen, to have um, gotten past his fetishization. He's just kind of almost made peace with it just by kind of giving into it, just like throwing up his hands. But uh, this yeah. what the, this article says it's like. Um, I can place the exact moment when white bodies. And that's another thing. This guy has read himself a lot of theory. So he just talks very jargony, like not like a real person. And I could tell us from the critiques of his play that his plays are a little too jargon filled. But um, we're going to return to that later. But it's just a lot of the language like bodies, colonized, my consciousness, you know, etc. Uh, I can place the exact moment when white bodies colonize my subconscious. And when blue-eyed men 
with sun-kissed arms began to hold my desires upon the shoulders like Atlas. I was nine wandering through a J.C. Penny with my mother when my stomach dropped upon the sight of row after row of decollated white bodies and tight black briefs. By the time she reached out to pull me away, I had already been seized, taken to a place where my black body, he's using body in places that's not really necessary, Right. was the brief that hugged the waist of faceless white men, accessorized by muscles in the right places. Months later, these bodies gained faces. Leonardo from Romeo and Juliet, Ryan, Philippe from Cruel Intentions, Brad Pitt from Fight Club. With each new white body I fell for, I distanced myself a bit more from the body I saw in the mirror each morning. Bodies that looked like mine in my home and in the halls of my school. The latter proved easy enough given I was one of the only people of color at my private school in southwestern Virginia. A school founded in 1968, it bears mentioning, the same year the Supreme Court ruled that public school segregation was unconstitutional. So I'm, I'm going to skip ahead because there's a lot of navel gazing in this. But um, let me get to what I think is a good part. Um, okay. I soon began to discover that my desires could be linked to a valuable type of social capital. And to find my way socially and academically, I became rich in white culture. Now, everything I'm going to say here, try to think of it in terms of creating the play slave play. I became rich in white culture while it in turn seemed to enrich me. I began to devour books, plays, and movies to impress my peers. The more obscure, the better. In doing so, I found that the world began to imbue me with the same weight and worth with which I had imbued white bodies. So he's saying I became rich in white culture and it seemed to enrich him. So he's saying that all this shit that he's been absorbing is white culture. He became very, very well-versed in white culture. And, you know, that was his way of fitting in and reading these books. So he, so he continues, I modeled, I modeled myself in their image, and doors that were closed to bodies like mine suddenly swung open. The father who wixled Dixie during carpool told me I should take his daughter to the prom. I was tapped by exclusive social circles. And again, this is part of his self-awareness. He adds, Likely, I can see now as a token. And when my mouth opened, people began to look past my braids and into my eyes because they heard a voice that sounded familiar. And I think he means that he had a supposed white voice, which if you heard him talk, he does kind of... Uh, oh, I heard him talk. Yeah, he speaks with the cadence of a white woman. I think that's safe. Yeah, he does. Sounds like a white liberal woman. Yeah, yeah. So so I get what he's saying. Like, like when they heard his voice, it, it was a voice that sounded familiar. Like it didn't sound like a, a hood voice, you know? And, right. and, you know, so far, like I said, there's a lot of self-awareness here. And he goes, I reveled in it. My status as exemplary, unique, white by cultural association. It wasn't until I was 18 in my first gay nightclub that I began to realize the cost of being a black body rich in white culture. So, you know, he's saying up until a while, like, you know, uh, being uh, being uh, so immersed in white culture. So up until 18, he was just a white guy uh, mentally, you know, and he was just a black body filled with white culture that you know talked like a white person and it was at 18 that he realized um that there was a limit to being that that he was just like you know a token or whatever he says i remember dressing myself in every bit of twink symbol symbology i had memorized from justin taylor on queer as folk which i'm guessing is a white character on a gay show so he he modeled himself after gay white people like you know he thought because lot of people are thinking that they're actually white after a while in a way like you know mm -hmm. they kind of become like uh reverse dolezals um so oh, yeah so he's like rainbow rainbow brand hemp flip flops skinny jeans from american eagle 
an Abercrombie and Fitch V-neck shirt, Hollister cologne. So he's like a stereotypical, like you know, uh, twink white white boy, and long relaxed hair. You know, even his hair is relaxed. After nights spent hypnotically watching and rewatching him tease me in both the U.S. and U.K. editions of the show. I could recreate what I saw as the platonic ideal of white gay youth with my eyes closed. So he thought, you know, he was just trying to study um, whiteness. But when you're black, you get kind of cut off at the physicality. Like, you know, when you see, when you see those black women try to get blonde weaves and get like Farrah Fawcett hairdos, it just kind of looks ridiculous mm -hmm. at a certain point. And he's, he's doing the male equivalent of uh, that. But as I walked in slow motion through the doors of the Chicago Gay Club Berlin, a phantom wind machine blowing back my hair, I was not met with the lecherous stares of or surreptitious gropes I'd always imagined. I found pointed disinterest and casual remove instead. At first I thought I was merely being overeager, so I took on a more serious expression, less Justin and Morris older lover Brian. Still, no gaze met mine. Behind each glance that turned away, I saw the revulsion that met my own body each morning in the mirror. It looked as unequivocal for them as it was for me. So again, it's that we're still that incredible self-awareness, but you know, kind of disturbing still. But you know, so he's basically saying that all this um, enriching yourself with white culture and you know making yourself into uh, honorary white guy, it was cool for being a mascot, you know, for being a harmless token and whatever, you know. But eighteen, you're hitting puberty, you're getting sexual, and you're realizing like you know your black body, your 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 blackness is. Um, not working and we've said this before on the show about how um if you're a person of color like it's almost against your better best interest to try to just be a bootleg white person or a second rate white person you know because uh you're never going to be a convincing um white person you know um uh, which is why we say like a lot of times people go the opposite direction to attract white people mm -hmm. when they're of color. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they try to play up their um, ethnicity, not because they particularly love their race or whatever, but more because they realize this is kind of like, it makes me exotic. It's a gimmick I can use. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Which is why you see like a lot of uh, those Shea Butters who only date uh, white men, they'll be, um, you know, have natural hair, septum rings and look very natural. Oh, yeah. And, Traditionally, there was a lot of that with uh, those black power guys. You used to have a lot of those fists in the air. Oh, back in back in the back in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those ex. Oh yeah, ex clan. Yeah, the yeah, septum piercing. Yeah, yeah. There'd be a lot of dudes like that. You know, looking like uh, radicals. Uh, don't be a menace. Uh, even it's such a trope. Don't be a menace if you made fun of it. That that conscious mm -hmm. guy who uh, you know, I'm was, black, y'all. What, what, yeah. what was that CB4? Is that CB4? That was CB4. That was CB4. Yeah. I'm black. But, 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 um, yeah. don't be a menace at that guy. He was like, uh, turning down black girls for like a really like homely, uh, white girl. But he was always talking about woke stuff all the time, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, he, this is what he says. And this was really inter interesting. That slap in negation, I think this registered as a trauma for him. The sting of reading my revulsion in the face of another, because, you know, he's realizing, like, they hate me as much as I hate myself, was when I first realized that my psyche had been colonized and that I held, that I held an unhealthy relationship with the gaze of white men, which is kind of weird to me, because it only became unhealthy when they uh, didn't like you back. But I can't believe all this time you didn't realize that you really like white men. I think you realized it. Like, you just... You just got uh, dissed and, you know, you weren't liked. And this is where it gets interesting. See, to me, he just seems to be mad at the lack of interest. I don't think he realized any type of colonization. For many, 
It's a realization that could have provoked a moment of self-examination, but instead of adjusting my gaze, I decided instead to adjust the gaze of those I desired. If becoming rich in white culture had taught me anything, it was how to colonize the minds of those you wished to conquer, right? So are you following me so far? It sounds kind of strange. Yeah. Okay. So, so stick with me. What do you mean you've never heard of Marlon Riggs? I told a boy in the library. There's literally no reason to be an English major if you've never read another country. Uh, Marlon Riggs is a black figure and another country is a book by James Baldwin. Isaac Julian taught gay men how to dream past a nightmare. Have you not seen this is not an AIDS advertisement? He's reciting things that he started telling white people. So what he's basically saying is if I can't get white men by being carbon copy, a second rate bootleg um, white person, like, you know, then I'm going to weaponize my blackness. I'm going to use I'm going to use my my blackness and lean into it and use that uh, as an angle. Right. So mm -hmm. so so basically he is um, making white people admire black icons so that right. so that in turn, the hope is that, you know, if I introduce them to Martin Riggs, to James Baldwin, to Isaac Julian, and they get impressed with their genius, then by association, they'll see a real black person in front of them. Like, you know, make them love black people. And then I'll view the benefit as the closest black person they know. So that's what he means about colonizing the minds of those he wishes to conquer. So basically, he's saying or admitting that blackness to him, uh, black history, black culture, black theory is a weapon to win over white men, right? Hey, he's playing a, that's a dangerous game. Yeah, but, but think about this play in, in light of that, you know? It changes the whole context of the play. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. For for these black people who who are saying it's for them and stuff, like this is uh it's disturbing if it's a way to win over white people, but that seems to be what he's saying. So he goes, The white boys I wooed lit up around the fires built by the art of my forefathers. So basically his forefathers are just reduced to something to light up the fires. No to light up the desires of white men. The white boys What I is his the thing about it is what is his end game? You know white, what I mean? Like white 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 men. <sighs> I think it's that simple. You know what? You want it to be bigger because you you think big, but you know the, the same way the New York Times reviewer uh, saw nothing bigger in this play than just you know getting white people to love black people on their terms. Like all this, like I really think there really is no end game bigger than, than just white men. You know, that's it. Yeah, I mean, so far I'm gonna continue. You tell me what you think. This is written like two or three years ago. Maybe it's matured immeasurably since. I don't know. The white boys I wooed lit up around the fires built by the art of my forefathers. It became the lubricant for our hookups. So you know, the art of his forefathers is like metaphorical sex lubricant. Um, yet once right. the lights were back on and they looked at me up and down, they still shied away from my gaze. My conquest began to feel fatalistic. They saw me as part of a lineage of queer black excellence that they could quantify and consume. But you know, that's weird to me because that was his plan. He wanted to sell himself as like a product. He wanted to brand himself with this black queerness. And now he's complaining that they're just seeing him as part of a lineage of queer black excellence, you know? So it's like for people like this, like blackness becomes something that they can lead into where white people, you know, even while they have their own 
um ambivalent relationship to it so it's like they have an ambivalent or conflicted relationship to, to their blackness but they realize that their blackness is the best way to woo white people with a black fetish so you know they're willing to lead to lean into it and it kind of creates but the crazy thing about it is, is that you're throwing a whole lot of black people under the bus just for your own uh, selfish sexual desires including the forefathers that like, like that's to, what i'm saying yeah, yeah 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 to call them like uh the lubricant in your sexual conquest is kind of uh crass i think yeah you know like uh, it makes them sound like a horrible human being yeah yeah but um yeah yeah and this is what i was kind of saying before is like you know i didn't really feel malice from him but the more i read and interviewed him I was feeling like confused because it's like he doesn't have agency here and I don't really get that he hates black people even though he kind of hates appearing black or they, they repulse him. I don't think he's like because some of these people like really hate seems to me like hate black people whereas I feel like he has a lot of um self-hatred about being black but I, I can't i can't explain it but but but, let's, but let's, i don't i don't think he has any self-hatred about being black i think he knows that he's socially awkward but you know like, i think they all everybody that thinks like him and we've come across a lot of people like yeah. that um they all distinct they are they know how to do to um they can see the difference between themselves and the normal quote-unquote mainstream african-americans whether it be based on hip-hop culture athletics athletics uh even academia they they see that there's a difference yeah you know what i mean they they see that okay i don't quite fit in there you know what i mean but this guy is going to a whole nother level this is another level you know yeah check 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 this out i remember going to a warehouse party it is something else that we say remember so i'm just 18 it was in nothing but white culture and, mm-hmm. and you know how we always say like a lot of these um shea butter blavity black types just kind of come to blackness late in life and just oh yeah of, yeah not till they get to college yeah and it just becomes a way to kind of commoditize themselves to um white people when they realize they're always going to be second-rate white people they start realizing like you know if they can never get past my blackness then i'm going to win them over by um giving them that stage authenticity you know and they and they don't really know anything about um really being black like like they're learning it late to the game themselves it's like a crash a crash course you know they're cramming it and it's funny because this article confirms a lot of what we said like 130 something episodes of this show like this article is basically confirming all these theories that, that we had uh literally which is why i kind of like the self-awareness because i'm not used to seeing people from the black excellence crowd you know right. have to have this level of self-awareness that's why i can kind of appreciate him to a degree but he goes i remember going to a warehouse party in pilsen the summer that michael jackson died sweat rolled down the necks of bodies again that word bodies colliding to the rhythms of the king of pop and quincy jones and in the corner i held drunken court so you know he's holding court he's, he's entertaining people as i delivered a diatribe about the overlooked complexity of the lyricism of dangerous I you know the Michael Jackson album. I set my mark on a Midwesterner from the city art school who looked like he just stepped out of a regional production of Angels in America. The more I spoke, the more he lit up. He said yes before I could finish asking if he would, wanted to come back to mine and watch Sweet Sweetback's badass song. So 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 let, let's think about it. He's holding court, talking about the lyricism and the complexity of Dangerous. But up until eighteen, he was not into white culture, you know. I uh, wouldn't. So he basically has learn all this stuff about black culture he's bullshitting people as far as yeah the idea of him growing up engrossed in this but because he's black he has an extra bit of credibility as opposed to a white person who just crammed this you know 
So they kind of defer to him just based on his looks. And the whole time he's talking about this, he's not talking about it like, you know, this is black culture and I'm proud of it. He's the ancestors. He's talking about it while sizing up a white guy. Like, like, you know, uh, it's just nothing to him, but a way to soften up white people who are fascinated by black people. And he delivers a coup de gras of Sweetback's badass song. So it's like this whole repertoire of black culture is just, you know, you know, the pickup artists, you know, uh, back in the mm-hmm. day, like the PUAs, like, like mystery had like his magic tricks. He's like, uh, basically a woke pickup artist, but you know, Instead of magic tricks and a f- fuzzy hat, he has uh, James Baldwin, uh, Michael Jackson, and Black Trivia. Like those are his uh, magic tricks and routines. Like it, it's 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 weird. It wasn't long before I was licking the taste of salt from his neck. He smiled at me, then turned his gaze back to the screen, and I realized that the dick that got hard for me was getting hard for Melvin Van Peebles as well. Which is weird to me because isn't that the point? Like, the whole point yeah. was that you wanted to. Uh, educate people on these icons so that they can then transfer the genius and sexual attractiveness of these icons onto your body and you can uh, capitalize, you know? So he goes, if that was true, was the only reason he came back home with me to educate himself on exemplary black things? Was I just another exemplary black thing? But I'm like, isn't that what you wanted to be? I thought that was the mission. So then, um, you know, it goes, it goes on and on like, it goes on and on like that, and um, he says that he, he's he, one of he those. Call- he, he's he's very conscious of black culture, even as a socially awkward as he is. He yeah. knows what black culture brings to the masses, and he knows what it brings to his white counterparts. Yes, he knows how to engage them with the simple fact that he's throwing that hip hop black culture in there. You know what I mean? The social capital, the cultural, cur- yeah, the cultural currency of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he realizes that. So, so yeah, I mean, his other play, you know, so he says just that, that he processed it through writing, right? And um, cause he uses the word process, you know, which is funny because that's what they do in, in the play. And he says, um, I, I wrote a play that explored a relationship between a 25-year-old black artist and a 65-year-old white collector to parse the ways I was cradled, coddled, and collected by white institutions and how I've collected and used them in turn. So this goes to your point about how he knows what the white people are getting out of this. Because he's basically saying mm-hmm. that he knows what white people want from black people, what they fetishize from black people and what institutions want you know and look he's a guy that got into yale using slave play slave play was what he used to get into yale and um institutions he's got yale behind him and he has the new york theater workshop giving him two shows and he's not even at a drama school yet you know like like so i mean this thing to me is him just giving away the game like he um he um it's kind of calculating and it's a good calculation it's it's working for him but it's also very cynical and it belies a lot of the loftier motives both he and um some of his white liberal defenders are trying to uh give this whole thing you know right and it, and it also kind of makes it uh me more conflicted about him because while i say he doesn't seem that malicious he does seem very calculating and cynical at the at at, at least and, 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 you know, the thing that I hope he understands is that the people that he's trying to woo and all those kind of things, these people look at him as, you know, just something to do mm. where he's putting his intentions into this. But, but one thing he said is interesting is that he he said that he realizes he can be tossed away at any time, but he's going to try and make a mark while he can. So he's kind of uh, kind of realized that's what I'm saying. He's, he's, he's not dumb. Like He's actually more self-aware than a lot of these people. He realizes he's going to have a short self-life. He even, right. He even acknowledges that his identity markers of being black and queer um 
allow him to write things that a white person would get in trouble for. So he's very kind of. So he's uh, taking advantage of the ability and the the little bit of privilege that he does have. Yeah, but what what I think he's underestimating though is burning the bridges with black people because this move and these kind of tactics. Yes, you can predict you can predict um, the white people getting uh, rid of you, but are you gonna be able to predict the black people not wanting to um, give you refuge when they're done with you? Like you know, that's that's gonna be hard when you have no place to call home among white people or black people, which is what happens to a lot of these people when they get thrown away. They can't come back or go to the black community on top of it. You know, he and this is another thing. This guy he reads a lot of good literature, but he still just uses it to kind of to this kind of end of you know getting white validation so even like the best things he reads I, like all the theory they told that he was saying that he read and i think what kind of the problem is i think reading all this theory trying to educate um yourself into being uh woke and black is like trying to give yourself therapy by just reading uh self-help books so the guy reads a lot of stuff but i feel like he processes it like you know through this kind of fucked up lens because he doesn't really have anybody to guide him he's kind of like a guy reading therapy books or reading like basketball books but he doesn't have an actual therapist he doesn't have an actual coach like he's reading black theory but he doesn't have like a real older black mentor in his life or you know somebody to actually kind of help him process it. He he's just processing on his own and he's surrounded by white people like one of the things that he said in one of his interviews was that how when he was in Yale, he had all these white professors and teachers and like, you know, older students. And they would say stuff like, you know, well, Jeremy, um, you know, we don't know what it's like to be black. We don't know what it's um, like to experience that. So we're going to try to teach you, but we're also going to get out of your way. You know, you know, certain racial issues, we're going to like respect your truth, you know, like stuff like that. And he was, you know, seeing that like as a very good thing. Like that's how Yale helped him. But I'm like, yeah, but it's not just about white people getting out of your way. Sometimes you need a black person to get in your way to be like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? You're, you know, you're like violating right now. Are you going to regret that? Or, you know, you need someone to give you some tough love about, you know, whatever. And it seems like there was no description of that. You know what I mean? Right yeah 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 it's it's not just about white people being good allies and getting out of your way you need black mentorship and i think you know he's kind of realizing that now with the backlash he seems a little surprised by how vehemently uh black people are how poorly they're receiving it probably because a lot of black people that he was meeting were other confused uh lifelong tokens like him you know yeah and there's and the thing about it is man if you really want to get down to the, the the numbers there's not a lot of him out there so exactly for you for you to do something like this and, and be surprised that black people i mean like it's almost like the same way <sighs> this is crazy it's almost like the same way you see a white person and they know all the rap songs and they rapping nigga this and all that and then when a black person say, hey, hey man don't be saying that they kind of shocked like they're what black people don't want me to say this word it's just a song you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, they're, yeah. They're, it's like they're oblivious they're smart enough to to not be oblivious but when it really boils down to it they're oblivious to what to was, their own ignorance there was an article that came out today it was written by some cat with an italian um last name yeah. um and it's about it's about l cool j was in new york magazine oh yeah i heard about, about it this morning yeah 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 how about how bad l cool j was and he was going through his whole career and i tweeted uh, the link out and i said this i've never seen somebody know so much about hip-hop like content wise but have absolutely zero idea of it context wise like he basically 
sound like he's read a lot of Wikipedia and listened to a bunch of hip hop in the last five years. Yeah. And he had no idea the context. What you know, like like he gave as much um as many paragraphs to LL's like lesser albums as he did to Bigger and Deffer and Bad. Like like you know he he didn't have the con the contextual background to really know which albums to weigh you know and which albums you know to minimize or understand like you know the um the power or groundbreakingness of you know some of his work he couldn't he didn't know how to weigh things how to contextualize and yeah i think this guy might be going through the same thing uh with the with the blackness kind of like what you described with the black the white guy who doesn't understand you shouldn't say the n-word yeah stuff like that he doesn't like, understand why black people doesn't think that this is a good idea like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, because most of the black people he's encountered are black people like him you know like him exactly um, yeah yeah so so he has the he, he answered this quote in the article he says in blackface white mass the martinique born philosopher france fanon wrote that black people don't feel inferior to others because to feel inferior is to feel you exist instead we obsessively search for recognition like the recognition of another's gaze in order to formulate an, ex an existence to become self-aware i'm like okay i can agree with that that's pretty good yeah. but then he goes because i spent most of my life living in a white world obsessed with its cultural products its bodies its validation i've lived most of my life unaware that in doing so i was failing to exist and this is what i mean by someone who sounds like very therapized like like people's therapy are very good at kind of just uh performing insight you know mm -hmm. uh particularly for the validation of a therapist it's one of the things you have to be careful of that you're not just sit, saying what you've learned with the therapist wants to hear and you're trying to show like you're clever you know like like showing that you have all the right answers he seems like someone like that like he's kind of gained himself in therapy like he's and that's like the basis of that article but in other things uh in out magazine the game magazine um they titled something and they're throwing so much extras on him and this is when you know you really gotta worry about white people when they throw this much extras on you with you know you've been having experience yet you know they're setting you up but yeah. meet jeremy o harris the queer black savior the theater world needs and i'm just going to read one part of this he, he says and this is more of that cynicism uh that calculation my identity markers which would have made this work less palatable 20 years ago or even 10 years ago might not be part of the reason why my work is more impactful harris says Indeed, Slave Play, which was which will be directed by Robert O'Hara, and Daddy, which opens next February and starts Alan Cumming, include a, a queer sexuality that wasn't always accepted in the work of his theatrical heroes. Then he, then he quotes, In this landscape of white cis straightness, there's a curiosity about this black boy, this black queer boy working in his paradigm, Harris says, which is both interesting and scary because it feels like a trend. This is Harris mm -hmm. talking about himself. Like, what happens when they get bored so like i said he kind of realizes that he's a trend like this is what i mean by this weird self-awareness like he's like he's saying the fact that i'm black and gay and whatever is working for me because i'm trendy now and right. i'm saying let me let I'm me get let me stuff, get this bag real quick let me get this bag real quick and i'm saying stuff that they're kind of afraid to say themselves or that couldn't yeah. be said a couple of years ago and they're using me and my trendy identity markers as their <laughs> way to say it without saying it and i feel like a trend which is interesting and scary but what happens when they get bored that's what i mean like, he seems like he feels like he's a child just trying to see what happens not children just say let me try this and see what happens let me yeah. do this so there's something kind of like a childlike naivete i feel which kind of goes also in what you said about how he seems shocked at the backlash from black people and stuff yeah 
but another reason why I would say I don't feel so much malice about him because a lot of times when people hear you're criticizing them and stuff, um, these types of uh, shea butter or blavity types, a lot of times they'll block you and they'll get indignant. But he was like, you know, give the play a chance. Uh, he reached out to me and he said, Yeah, he's not, he's uh, not, I noticed that he's not being, you know, uh, like a lot of the people that are, if you don't agree with them, then you're whatever pejorative term they want to use. Yeah, you know, to make and, you and, look and, bad because you're a straight black male. Yeah, and they get petulant and nasty. He's not like that. He's like, he's, he's open to like uh, watch the show. He said he's leaving. If I tell him when I'm coming, he'll um, meet me after the show. Right. And he he might even do the podcast. So I'm like, you know, I give you credit on that. You're that's what I mean. Like I feel like he's just kind of feeling his way through a lot of stuff. You know, he's sincere about what he's trying to do. That's what it seems like to me, you know. And some people got into my mentions when I was talking to him. Like some third people, why are you talking to him like that? I'm like, dude, don't yeah. go in my mentions and like, you know, interrupt the conversation. And they're kind of like calling him like names and like, you know, we gotta teach these people. And it's like somebody with like a handful of followers, and yeah, he's like, you know, I don't know why you and your ilk are giving this guy a pass. And it's like, I'm not just gonna go and just try to dunk on the guy if he's trying to, you know, at least talk to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not to ask him. It doesn't mean to ask him softball questions, but... No, it doesn't mean you, you know, have to just accept whatever he says and kiss his ass either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can, like, talk to him and still... But, but you know, there's a lot of people who just want, I guess, to see us just, like, dunking everybody or just, like, you yeah. know, call people names. But, I mean, we'll, we'll <laughs> see. Well, it's time for that. You know, I mean? at the end of the day, there's a way to have civil. There's a way to have a civil conversation. It doesn't always have to be discourse. And if it does, be, and if it does yeah. turn to discourse, it can always be we agree to disagree. You know, yeah, exactly. it doesn't have to be, I got to call you a bunch of pejorative names. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be an argument. You know what I mean? Right. It, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but one of my things, right? So, so slave play is a type of, it's another name for race play. I, I learned mm -hmm. that in this book called, called, called the color of kink. So the, um, the title is a pun. It's double entendre. It's a slave play as in it's about slaves, but it's slave play as in the BDSM race play thing, slave play. So what I want to know is this, and this is something that I would want to ask him if I had him in front of me. Is what I want to know is, does he think that there's a redemptive power or an emancipatory power or a potential for self-actualization in the act of slave play? Like, is there a good slave play and a bad slave play? Like, like is, is what he's satirizing, is, is what he's satirizing the idea of, slave play as something that's that can be good you know or is he satirizing that this is just this is this was just a bad form of it like i want to know if he thinks that um it's something that's you know just universally bad situationally bad like you know these people were just doing it in the wrong spirit you, you see what i'm saying yeah yeah that's, that's hopefully i hope that he you know i understand you know i understand what he was trying to do but i hope he understands that you know it might be in bad taste yeah. You know, hopefully he's able to at least agree to that. Now, if he isn't going to I'm not saying he has to agree. But if from from a historical standpoint, if you're going to say that this isn't in bad taste based on a historical reference, historical standpoint, eh, I got to kind of like, you know, whatever, do push you to the wayside because it's, it's it's a bad look historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely I definitely think so. You, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, all these people. Um, uh, one of the women who, um, wrote positively about this thing, it's just named, is this woman, uh, Soraya McDonald, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, 
Soraya McDonald wrote a review. Let me um, find it real quick. Yeah, here it is. And she used that same word. Even when you're saying subversive, transgressive, I'm like, how can you say to be subversive when everybody's fawning over it? Like, everyone yeah. with the power, all the elites are, you know, subversive, like, ruffles power's feathers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like transgressive kind of goes against the norms. If everybody is loving this thing and, you know, and especially the more elite they are, the more you love it. It's not subversive at all. But anyway, she wrote, the subversive slave play, slave play peels back the veneer of, of racial innocence in northern whites. So, you know, she goes, despite the name, there is no room for illusion in antebellum sexual performance therapy. In a radical new play, and again, how is this radical? You know, by J Jeremy O. Harris, um, the therapy, also known as slave play, is a treatment for interracial couples who aren't connecting sexually. Of course, we don't know that when we first meet Kanisha, Tiona Paris, and Jim, Paul Alexander Nolan, when the curtain rises on Act 1. And the audience finds itself watching, sometimes in horror, as Kanisha and Master Jim flirt with each other in the character as a negress who can't stop twerking to Rihanna's work and an overseer who'd rather just be called Jim. Soon the audience is busy trying to work out his confusion as it watches Alana, Anna McNamara, and Philip Sullivan Jones in the bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism BDSM scene that feels slightly anachronistic. You sit wondering to yourself, when exactly did patent leather fetish boots come into existence anyway? Surely not before 1865, just what kind of alternate universe is this? Out come Taya and Patricia to explain. Antebellum sexual performance therapy is the brainchild of an overeducated interracial lesbian couple who dress in matching cognac colored loafers and speak almost entirely in therapy jargon. The real fun, if you can call it that, begins with unpacking and soon we enough we find out that there are three couples that are part of a study at the fictional McGregor Plantation, somewhere outside of Richmond, Virginia. In each case, the non-white partners have lost interest in sex. Watching slave play is like sitting next to a couple in a restaurant and eavesdropping as you give imagined context to whatever screwed up vignette of their union you happen to be witnessing. Sex, of course, is a barometer for deeper issues in each relationship. The magic of slave play, directed with stunning precision by Robert O'Hara, is that it dares to show white people to themselves. And T.S. I think dares to show white people to themselves. Like white people are like a lot of these articles and a lot of this um woke think piece stuff has this thing about white people running from whiteness, showing white people themselves. White people are not running from the fact that they're white. They're running from what they've done and right. what their ancestors have done. They're running from accountability. Absolutely. And guilt. They're not running from whiteness. If they were running from whiteness, they'd be running from privilege and they can't exactly you know you know they're not in a rush to give back the reparations they're running from white you know no they're, they're not giving up whiteness they're not running from it they value whiteness what they're running Absolutely. from is being reminded being reminded what they did and it's probably these people what i'm saying about because she's another one i searched her name and she talks about um therapy a lot as well mm -hmm. you know i went on i went on her um twitter and i searched her name and therapy and you know she is um like she says things on twitter like you know she has whole threads about therapy and i was using therapy as a fix a flat for my soul and you know I was talking about all about her therapist and how she's going to change her life this year and stuff and that same therapy um mindset is what she's she's bringing to this like 
white people running uh white from whiteness like it's just daring to show white people to themselves the same way a therapist is daring to show your inner world to you you know but but that's not what this is you know they're, they're, the white they're, people don't run from whiteness what white people do is like you like a white liberal will say oh th the powers that be they're all trying to get us down it's the one percent and then the white supremacists yeah, will yeah. say oh you're, you're a victim oh you have that victim mentality or, or, or the white liberal will be like you know it's the republicans or it's the rednecks mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. yeah i'm one of the i'm one of the good ones i i check yeah. my privilege you know yeah um this becomes clear in a group therapy scene thanks to an expertly studied and yet wholly natural performance by McNamara, who is Tracy flicking her way through therapy as if it is a game that, that can be won. Elena does not see the biracial Philip as white or black, but quote unquote just Philip. Oh boy, you know. So she goes on, there's no hiding here. Instead, we witness whiteness and we witness our collective reactions as it sh as it's shown to us in the context of group therapy. The over-talking, the thoughtless solipsism, the willful ignorance, the performative self-flagellation. So she's getting off on the therapy aspect of it, you know, because as seen through her through Twitter, she's very um, immersed in the therapeutic process herself, you know. So right. Seeing people solve whiteness through therapy, you know, seems to appeal to her. The, squeamish, the squeamishness surrounding anything that reminds white people of their whiteness. And again, white people don't care about being reminded of their whiteness. Like, white people are not trying to quote-unquote outrun whiteness. They're trying to not have their level, the full range of their complicity and the full level of their benefit exposed. Like, they don't want exposure of how much they've benefited from racism historically and currently, you know, they would rather plead to the lesser charge of white privilege. Like, like, like you know, in criminal court, like, you no, know, plead to the lesser charge. Like, they're like, they could talk about white privilege all day long. So they're obviously not running from whiteness. What they're running from is like white privilege is the lesser charge they're pleading to, but white supremacy, white hegemony, like, you know, the actual power system, the control of the courts, the, the money, the, judiciary the, you know oh, yeah everything that's what they're trying to run being ex exposed but the whiteness like they're fine with whiteness they'll talk about white privilege like day and night and no day and night know, yeah they know what black people want to hear yeah yeah they'll talk about whiteness and invisible backpacks like, all day long you know yeah so you know um and this is the part that uh a lot of uh shape by the feminist love uh making it about white women like so she she goes on wisdom and timelessness timeliness try ripple through slave play but the light of it shines on white women but the light it shines on white women is especially bright and unflattering 2018 seems to be the year of showing white people to themselves especially women who benefit most from an unearned presumption of innocuousness both in works of fiction and real life so she kind of just goes into a diversion just to rant about white women um mm -hmm. See this year's collection of viral videos of white women using the police as customer service agents whenever they're irked by the presence of brown skin. The pleasant seeming but diabolical black white woman is a recurring trope. From Adora Krillin on HBO's Sharp Objects, hidden behind yards of floral prints and impeccable manners. So she's going on a divergence to rant about white women. To get out to Rose Armitage to the character of Miss in the play, what to send up when it, when it goes down. She is such an archetype that it doesn't take much to render her recognizable. Ugo Chukwu plays Miss with the... She's talking about other plays and other movies that bash white women. Like, like, like she's, she's using a white character from this thing to just go on about white women. Right. Because a lot of them have this issue with black men and white women. Those are the two things they kind of hate the most for some reason. 
But I mean, meanwhile, there's white guys in here enacting rape and doing all types of stuff, you know? So I don't even know why there's three paragraphs bringing up examples of uh, white women from all different media and different plays and stuff, you know? Uh, but whatever. I mean, so this is this is the woman. This is the speech that's supposed to, um, you know, make prove that it doesn't let white people off the hook. The black woman says, there's no way now I can unknow that when your people landed on this on this land, a third of the indigenous population of the entire continent died of disease. Not disease you actively gave them. Your mere presence was biological warfare. Virus. You're a virus. You're the virus. That's why I look at you as though you are infected, right? So that's what they say to make you think, oh, wow. So, you know, if you sit through the second act, you'll realize that the first act was not so bad because um, now you get the context, they really stick it to the white people. But this is something I find very interesting, right? A lot of um, pathology and all these things kind of come from shame. And shame is um, big in a lot of this domination and, sub and submission and sex addiction and narcissism and codependence. They all kind of have shame in common. What shame is, is different than guilt. Guilt is about what you've done shame is about what you are like like there's nothing you can do about shame like you know shame is just you're born bad or you are bad right nothing you can do you do can change it whereas guilt is about you know i did something like the way to fix the way to fix guilt is you make restitution like i did something bad now i'm gonna admit i did something bad do something good to undo it but shame because you can't change it you don't admit that you did something bad you try to hide what you are and or you try to blame someone else or you you know try to run away from it or put someone else down or you um self-flagellate or something you know you, you whip yourself so going back here and this is why i say this is just continued bdsm in disguise what does she say she goes when your people landed on this land a third of the population of the entire continent a continent died of disease now this is the key part not disease you actively gave them, meaning not something you did, right? Which would be guilt. Mm -hmm. She goes, your mere presence was biological warfare. See, you, like you yourself are the problem. She goes, you are a virus. You're the virus. That's why I look at you as though you are infected. Like that's shame talk. Like, you know, so it's just kind of continuing the BDSM, like it's shame. Like you yeah, are I'm, a you, You're a piece of crap. And he's like, oh yes, tell me more yeah yeah ex exactly and like the, like, like the bdsm doesn't work if it's like it says you know what you filed your taxes wrong this year uh, right <laughs> you you didn't really listen when uh your wife told you it, like like guilt stuff guilt talk doesn't work with bdsm and that type of um dysfunctional or codependent or narcissistic relationships because it's kind of giving the person the solution the out in the charge you know right you did this wrong you did that wrong and then it becomes oh so what do i do to fix it like you know if it's like you oppressed me when you you know didn't pay me the correct rate or you know when you didn't give me reparations now it becomes like oh so now to debate you know whether i should do that if i can do that you know that's constructive this is just shame talk like what can you do about being a virus yeah. that, that you didn't actively do it's just a way to just beat you up it, it's like um Patrice O'Neill has this uh, clip about uh, white people and the song Creep. Damn. The magic of this song Creep. It's, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, it's a good song. And then I seen videos and it's mesmerizing to white people. They start floating. I'm a creep. 
I'm a loser. There we go. Dude! <laughs> it just comes on when you talk oh, about it. I'm telling you, seven people just crashed into the bay just now. <laughs> they pulled over to cry or jump in the water. It's like the sensitive side of white man. But, but, but it's something about this song. It, it, it digs deep to this loserdom. <laughs> That's that all white people have? That, uh, white people have this innate thing where they want to feel bad. <laughs> That's why they voted for Barack. It's just like, I'm a creep. I, I didn't own slaves, but I'm a, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> important to white folks it's cut this but I'm, I'm telling you i've been studying i study man it, it's not just it's all oh, this feels good yeah i wish i was special <laughs> you're so effing special That's, whatever that little part is that digs into white people's soul that part it does something to you. Look at him, he's crying. He's standing up straight. No name, I'm telling you, this my, my show is not about trashing white folks. It's about understanding. I, I think white people don't get enough understanding. We need to understand. The movie Fight Club and how sometimes they just want to feel bad. That movie is such a heroic movie to guys who are lame. It's a lame guy oh, hero wow. movie. You know what, Patrice? Dude, let me tell you something. I know that, look, at, I'm willing to take this pressure. Mm -hmm. I saw that movie, mm -hmm. and when I saw it, the first thing I hit, I, 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 I leaned back, crossed my arms. I saw the whole thing, and I said, this did nothing for me, but I think I've run into the holy grail of something white. <laughs> like, I think I, I saw some shit that I didn't supposed to see. <laughs> it's self-hate, guilt, the the burden of white guys who can't be men. Wow, you know, I'm telling you the that... The burden of, of having to keep up with the Joneses, as they say. And, and the burden of dishonesty. The mm -hmm. burden of having to go to work and say blah, blah, blah. And so when I say weak, I don't mean like, but it's like, it's this... I understand what Patrice is saying. It's a dream movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm dreaming... I'm a better man movie. Right. That's right. what Tyler Durden is. <laughs> I, I agree with He's you. He's an imaginary better me. Because we said before, like, uh, a lot of people most drawn to the submissive part of BDSM are kind of like control freaks who are such control freaks. They even want to control when they feel bad. Like, like first of all, they're always like, in such control and always winning that they kind of want just to get a full range of experience. They want to feel the lows as well as the highs. Because the highs mean nothing without the lows. You know, you need right. that kind of fluctuation. But that same um, thing that keeps them always winning, that need for control, also makes them, you know, scared to experience those lows without controlling how they feel those lows. Yeah, so I'm going to say one last thing about review, right? So the, the review I just read was by uh, that black woman, uh, Soraya McDonald, right? She's the one who, um, that, that guy was whose article, you know, he was trying to give to that black woman to say, hey, look at this, you know, why don't you read her? You know, she'll tell you what to think about it. You remember? And that white, and that black woman clapped back. She's like, I have two PhDs. I read this. I don't need to read this to know what to think, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's go into this woman's, like, mindset. Cause, cause, because because we had to try to figure out, like, you know, who who was this woman that even gives, you know, because you have to know who people are before you take, um, you know, 
ad- advice for them. And this is one of the things that she she wrote. She wrote an article for the undefeated. For she wrote two articles. I think you know, kind of give a clear picture. She wrote, "How I learned to love myself as a black woman." by Ryan McDonald. And there's this whole article about, you know, how she had to learn to um, love love herself, you know, as a black woman, you know. And it's over at Undefeated. And she, is she the, like, is she the know, woman that wrote that story and she talked about her aunt and all these different people? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Her aunt Cornelia, yeah. who was like a sharecropper. Yeah. And, you know, loving her body. She, she, she talks about, like, like Aunt Cornelia, I grew up longing for normal-sized feet, not the podiatric monstrosities that had led me to in the lady size 10 when I was 10 years old. She was green giant. By the time I was in fourth grade to my client, I was Bigfoot. Like feet, outsized bosoms are common among the McDonald ladies, and they present similar challenges. It was difficult and expensive to find bras that are pretty and feminine and also perform well as over-the-shoulder boulder holders. The underlying message I took was that my body was unruly and made others uncomfortable. You know, she, she keeps going on about how she felt uh, uncomfortable as a black person. After years of unsolicited jeers, come on, and street harassment, I put on weight after college, and part of me was happy with the sexual invisibility that came with it, but that didn't last long, and I grew frustrated and unhappy with myself again. I learned to embrace my body and its imperfections when I stopped obsessing so much about what size and weight I, it was, and focused more on what feats it can accomplish. You know, she, and she kept going on about problems with being black. She has some, she has some colorism going on also. Yeah, she mentioned colorism. And then she goes, there's a section in this that goes, thank you for teaching me about black people. So there again, yeah. somebody who, you know, has to uh, consciously learn about uh, black people. Aunt Cornelia taught me to trust my, ju- my own judgment about how I should run my life. And she taught me about black people and how wonderful um, we are. Uh, so, so um it's it's just kind of interesting like like so she has a lot of similarities in a way to you know this guy this guy jeremy o'harris the writer of this play his own kind of um struggles with being black and identity and body self-hate and you know being uncomfortable with blackness and not liking the blackness you've seen um in the, in the mirror and stuff you know mm-hmm. and and then, but then she also talks about how she went to Howard. You know, now we say in college, a lot of people discover that's where uh, they the first get their first uh, experience of being around black people. Yes, yeah, so she says four years at Howard taught me I could wear my hair natural and paint my face as I please. So this confirms what you said about you know in college, I could develop whatever sense of style I desired, sport a giant afro or a sleek blowout. More than anything. It taught me that I could be whoever I wanted to be and be black doing it. And that was enough. Howard taught me that I was enough, providing the most powerful bulwark of all against a world that still insists in myriad ways that I am not. And that black women just like me, hello, Representative Maxine Waters and White House correspondent April Ryan, are not either. I arrived at Howard a feminist, but my experience there showed me what was possible in a world where blackness was valued and celebrated. It changed from a person who looked at such, I mean, I mean you, get, you get the point. Yeah. But it's kind of a mirror. So basically, in light of that, like, what does her approval of this play kind of mean? Like, you know, like, like this white liberal is taking one confused, self-hating um late to a black identity black person's review of another confused self-hating late to a black identity black person's 
play right and trying to and trying to use that lecture lecture all black to, people yeah including a black woman who has none of these issues yeah. with her blackness like like you know like how kind of sounding presumptuous does that have to be like you know like like they can't even tell us these, these white people can't even tell us apart or contextualize us like like if he was able to see black people beyond you know the the white socialized ones that make him comfortable and the ones that he assumes are dumb because they're not white socialized and don't agree with him he would be able to kind of see a neither of these people the reviewer or the playwriter should be authorities on black people because they're still figuring it out themselves right and you shouldn't be using either of them to lecture the person who's always been comfortable in the black skin if anything if you really want to learn about blackness he'd be talking to regular black people not confused people who are more comfortable honestly in his culture than uh their own you know right it's almost as if well seeing that they don't even know who they are well then you know you don't you don't you don't even even though you are black and you know who you are you don't have a right to have an opinion yeah yeah exa exactly and it's like uh this person understands blackness you know better than you because i say so yeah and that's, I, and I that's what i mean but they pick know? and choose which black person they want to prop up and give them the voice and let them be the all-seeing eye and the voice of black people even though that black person might sound like they're like they have no idea what they're talking about or they don't even know who they are the white liberal gets to come in and say but, no but they we, know yeah. better but but that's kind of the reason why the white liberal likes them because like you know sometimes we call them coffee creamers right like, they want a taste of the authenticity but they can't take it uncut right you know, it's too much for them you know they, they don't want the coffee black they want it they want it lightened they want it like you know watered down you know so so they're kind of like coffee creamers and they're like sweeteners you know mm -hmm. they want it they want it they want it weaker and they want it sweet you know they don't they don't want it that uncut pure black yeah, they don't coffee, just want black you know? coffee yeah hot black coffee they don't want that yeah 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 they they want it lukewarm they want it with creamer they want it with sugar mm -hmm. and the, so these people are they're they're coffee creamers and they're uh sweeteners you know and then they start making them like the poster children for black people now you want to start lecturing um other ones and, and this happens to a lot of them like there's another story like these people that they elevate and love are just um these people who most of the time are in therapy and b have tried to use that therapy framework that paradigm as the way to resolve racism right. you know and it doesn't work because you know it's for the reason we said it's a systemic problem it's a historical problem it's it's something that's meant to help you with your relationship to yourself and relationships to your loved ones your co-workers your parents your friends but not with resolving systems, systems of power, of power you know, right you yeah 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 it's not meant with that if you notice all these articles are always about how these people relate to themselves like you know how i learned to love myself oh, yeah. is what sarai mcdonald's was this guy's was um how the other guys was how i learned to love myself and you know um deal with my love of uh white people and get them to love me back you know and roxanne gay had another one uh, roxanne gay is another one that these white liberals love and she had one i have feared white men and i have loved them yeah and, i remember that article yeah and that one was really disturbing you know and she, and she goes she starts off and think about how similar this is to jeremy o'harris's she starts off with i have known white men i have loved white men this often surprises people they read my writing about race and gender and make it make assumptions this continues i'm gonna skip ahead there was the first boy i ever loved golden hair blue-eyed and then he and several other boys who were just like him did something terrible to me 
And I read uh, her book, uh, Bad Feminist, and basically they had gang raped her. Mm. She got uh, gang raped by a bunch of white boys. It would have been easy, I suppose, to imagine that all white men were like that, taking what they wanted as if it were owed to them. Perhaps I do think that of white men. Some days, I can't be sure. I am a child of the suburbs and forgotten rural places. Uh, for most of my life, I have lived in areas where I'm the exception rather than the rule. Same theme, only black person around. I have known white men. I have watched them mow their lawns and play softball on Thursday nights and drink beer and go to work each morning in their sensible suits and sensible shoes. I have studied the confidence with which they walk, the shape of the squared shoulder, the almost unbearable firmness of the handshake. I have seen how they survey a room they enter knowing they have an inalienable right to fill that space as they fit. I have hated such confidence. I have envied such confidence. You know, she goes um, on and on. And then she she just keeps going on about all these things with white men. Then she goes, there is the most recent man I love, the rugged sort, a logger and a hunter. He was persistent. He took me in the woods and showed me hidden waterfalls. He took me deer hunting in the cold early morning. He taught me the various parts of a crossbow and how to hold it properly. He taught me how to exhale as I pulled the trigger. He loved the natural world and understood it better than most people. I don't understand what this thing's about. She's kind of all over She's the place. She's all over the place. So, yeah, some white guys raped her. Uh, she should hate them. Sometimes she does. She's not sure if she hates them. Uh, she sees how they walk into the room. They have so much power. They have a strong handshake. She has Stockholm she Syndrome. Hates, yeah, yeah, she has Stockholm Syndrome she hates that part of them but you know also she envies that part of them they do this they do that uh they kill black men and black women they've prominently fit into our culture then she goes to on to the most recent white man she loves then describes him in a lot of detail and how he and what he taught her she goes on he couldn't stand heat and humidity but he had a beard i'm just trying to skim ahead and just try to figure he was conservative and i was decidedly not when i tried to lure him to my liberal way of thinking so 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 she's dating a conservative white guy and trying to uh, lure him into uh, liberalism. Like like you said, Stockholm Syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like, Why would you be with a conservative white guy? Yeah. Um, he smiled at me like I still had so much to learn. I love to argue with him. I love to make him question his place in the world the way he made me question mine. I made him happy. He made me happy. I'm not sure why. Um, we never knew if that was enough. Like... I don't know. Small town, middle of nowhere, far from everything. People couldn't keep their opinions to themselves. At night in bed, he would say, I love your skin. And then he would show me how he loved my skin. How he loved me as more than my skin. I don't even know what this thing is even about. She's um, she's all over the place. She's all over the place. But it's all the same themes about, you know, like self-hatred. But what's interesting is a lot of the same themes as this, as this play, like, like the gang rape and stuff. Yeah. And, but how she's still keeps coming back to white men anyway and even conservative white men but what is fascinating with me with all these people the see this endless patience she has for white men mm -hmm. but she has zero patience for black men yes like, like okay so white men can gang rape you growing up you can just see nothing but their power their swagger you talk about how to kill black people you can talk about how you dated one that had all these kind of problems he drank too much he couldn't keep his fist to himself and he used to get into fights he was a conservative and you couldn't even turn to a liberal but you still kind of have this bittersweet you know like you said this very stockholm syndrome -y, mm -hmm. um, thing but these are the people that they elevate the spokesperson absolutely. to black people absolutely so so weird these are the people that you know will like slave play and then these white liberals will have the audacity to then start 
trying to tell regular black people, you know, without any of these issues who just want to live a regular black life, you know, hey, why don't you listen to these people? Like, that shows us how tone deaf they are. Like, white liberals, they don't really want to talk to or be around real black people. They want to be around these type of socialized uh, black people. And, you know, the only extent to which they want to deal with uh, real black people is like to kind of lecture them or to get these people, you know, like, hey, talk to your people over there. Like, you know, get them to act right, you know. Um, you know, so it's just so you have that people like that white guy sending Soraya McDonald article yeah, to yeah, yeah. black woman yeah. with the PhDs, but her and all these other people are just hopelessly confused. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course they're gonna like this play. It's by it's by them for white people and other black people who are confused like them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's almost the same way how when you start arguing with someone like uh, white supremacists on Twitter, and they'll go find the resident hotel. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Or, or, or they'll try to get you to read, read Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell. You know, yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last thing, the last thing going, well, two last things, two last things I'm going to say. This is, this is a description of slave play from the theater workshops website. You know, they say, and again, this is why I say the twist doesn't matter. This is how they advertise it on the, on the website. The old South lives on at the McGregor plantation in the breeze, in the cotton fields and in the crack of the whip. Wow. It's an ante, it's an antebellum fever dream where fear and desire entwine in the looming shadow of the master's house. Jim trembles as Kenesha hands those melons in the cottage alana perspires in time with the plucking of philip's fiddle in the boudoir while dustin cowers at the heel of gary's big black boot in the barn nothing is as it seems and yet everything is as it seems in this provocative and explosive new play jeremy o'harris rips apart history to shed new light in the nexus of race gender and sexuality in 21st century america so it's like okay you know um and, and it adds this play contains nudity sexual content simulated sexual violence and racially violent language well, at least they at like least they admitted they're ages. conflating two different um eras uh well not well, not really. I mean, kind of. But I mean, the only thing they really say is that it sheds light on race, gender, sexuality in 21st century America. Right. But they don't actually say say that, you know, that it's not about slavery. That's actually about modern therapy. Like, this is what I'm saying about that whole get out of jail card. Yeah. Thing about the second and third act. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bullshit. That, this ad is selling. It's, it sounds like a porno caption. Yeah. It sounds like the back of a, it really of does. a porno box. Damn. <laughs> And that's what and that's what's supposed to get people into the seats. You know, none of this is about teaching white people about themselves. Like, you know, and they and they allow you to sit through that first act, uh, believing this is what uh you watch. So, you know, that's that. It, it, this is one last thing I want to say about Soraya McDonald. This is another article she wrote to give you an idea about these people that we're supposed to listen to about slave play. In addition to that whole thing about learning to love herself and learning to love black people and a black woman and discovering her blackness in college and, you know, um, all that stuff she has something she had an article how do you solve a problem like hoteps and in it she's defending um Issa ray and her passage from awkward black girl mm -hmm. about her memoir where she says all the mess of things about black men and asian people and you know the one that we talked about in the show before oh yeah 
where she calls Asian, yeah, Asian people, you know, the, um, she calls Asian, she calls Filipinos the blacks of Asian people, and that's why you shouldn't date them, and black women should date Asian men, because black men are so fucked up and stuff. Right. So this guy on tw Twitter wrote, an influential black woman is telling black women to procreate with Asian men because they will intellectually suit black women in her book. Christ, what have we done as black men to be shitted on like this, right? And this guy continues with a whole thread talking about how much he, he loves black women, and he wants them to heal and do all this stuff and how we shouldn't be trying to put down other black people, you know, at the expense of lifting up other races of people. And he's willing to do his best to work with black women. She cut all that stuff out and just left that part and then said, hmm, classic Hotep, ashy Twitter nonsense. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, she, she, she built the argument. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah, total narcissism. But, mm -hmm. but but she took away the rest of his... Um, right. She took away the rest of his thread and just left that part without context to make it seem like, you know, so she could frame it how she wanted to frame yeah. it. She linked to the original tweet. Because, you know, an article, you can link to the original tweet, then the person reading the article can click it and see the rest of the thread. Yeah. She just screen capped her first tweet so that you couldn't go to the rest of yeah, it and yeah. see the rest of what the guy was saying, which was very positive and very nice. So then she goes, he's asking honest questions. Um, yeah. And saying that he loves black women, that he wants uh, us to stop doing this divisive stuff. So she goes, um, here's the problem. Internet misogyny is a way of spilling into real life. Something that writers like Angela, Amanda Marcotte, Amanda Hess, and Lindy West have been writing about for years. We have plenty of examples of men who commit deadly acts of violence in real life, motivated by hateful ideology they ingested in the spouse online. There's Elliot Roger, the man who killed six people and then himself in 2014 because women wouldn't have sex with them mind you she's saying all this in reference to this guy's out of context tweet so yeah. she's making him sound like he's like some kind of um rapist terrorist yeah yeah right? yeah, yeah. She, she's she's comparing straight black men to elliot to elliot roger right um yeah, this Elliot Roger, the man who killed six people and then himself in 2014 because women wouldn't have sex with him. George Sodini targeted an all-female aerobics class in 2009 for the same reason. There's the man who threatened to bomb Utah State University because feminist gaming critic Anita Sarkeesian was scheduled to give a speech there. The latest example is Alec Manassian, a self-described incel who allegedly recently drove a van into a crowd in Toronto and killed 10 people and who thought of Roger as a hero. Okay, you say, but all these guys were white. You know, which is true. This is right. white people crimes, right? What does that have to do with Hoteps? First of all, this guy's not even a Hotep. Why does she even call him that, right? Right. Uh, it's a total, total hit piece. But she goes, there are very strange of internet misogynists. Incels, gamer gators, pickup artists, white supremacists obsessed with the 14 words. Hoteps are just a little more specialized. They tend to be black men who hate black women and especially mouthy black feminists. They traffic in what many online black feminists call misogynoir. Most, most Hoteps can be found on Twitter because that's where the majority of black public discourse on the internet takes place. Even in the absence of mass killing in the veins of Roger or Sodini, black women still experience the highest rates of intimate partner violence of any racial group. Um, and what she leaves out is that black people also have the highest bi-directional inter-intimate inter partner violence, which means that they have the most women on man yeah. uh, domestic violence. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. It's actually several orders higher than any other race. Like, it's actually far more even than any in any other race and it makes sense because it comes from white supremacy and oppression and poverty you know it's not as simple as just men beating women but regardless when we normalize rhetoric based and gendered resentment toward black women it's part of a larger puzzle that contributes to their victimization but 
So she goes, that's why it's up to us to push back against misogynistic vitriol. Just because the physical results of such rhetoric, meaning just because black men haven't become an Elliot Roger, a George Sordini, uh, Alec Manassian, or, you know, any other of these mass killers or shooters doesn't mean they don't exist. So she's basically saying that just because black men haven't done it yet. Doesn't mean that, men but doesn't mean that they're not capable. Yeah. So she's basically, and this article is not written for black people because this tone not. yeah because all of it's explaining black people too much like a black person would need all this yeah, stuff well people. and that's why those those the publications that they always post those in is always a white-owned publication it's always even if it's in the root we know the root's not yep. black owned so you know yeah 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 so but so basically this is a woman took a black guy who had did no other crime except say that he doesn't want black women and black men to fight and he loves black women like, this is what he actually said in his tweet, that he loves black women, and he wants to move past this. That, that was the only crime. She uses that, takes this piece, his first tweet, out of context, and doesn't provide a link to it, so people can't see it in context and see what he actually said, and then proceed to paint him and all other black men to white people who she's hoping are reading, because this is who it is addressed to, as the next major terror threat. In the world where white women are calling the cops on black men, for everything already which is already you know attempted murder if you call the cops on a black man you're basically doing attempted murder yeah, yeah. we know what happens when they show up and this is this is the black woman who's actually telling white people and using a, a specific guy right uh and slandering him uh so she's encouraging white people to fear black men as the next major um threat on par with uh elite roger george sudini um Anita Sarkeesian and whatever and and you know using black women as as the excuse saying you know plus you know they they beat us up all the time and they're always terrorizing us you know so so she's a so she's a perfect example of what we talk about when we talk about self-hating black people on a job being extra and doing things that white yeah, people yeah. don't ask them to do that's what she's doing. Yeah, what she doesn't go, understand go, is that go, no matter what you tell white people, especially white people that already believe that, doesn't matter. They already believed it anyway. So you're not enlightening yeah, them yeah, on anything. What you're doing is you're exposing yourself to being batshit crazy. But but she, she's she's trying to say like, yo, I'm on your side. Yeah. Black, we shouldn't have to say black women are on, are on your side. Um, kill the black men, but save us. Yeah. Th that's what she's trying to say, you know. And that's like fucked up. Like, 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 like to 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 say that about to write to white people to say this about uh black men and to kind of co-sign. Not, not, th not that like you said they need her to believe this, but she's using herself as like a useful idiot. Yeah, she's, she's a crash test like, dummy. And I, I know. Yeah, I'm saying what you can't say. Yeah, and you know when you do the stuff, when you kill the next black man, when you enact laws against black men, you don't have to feel bad because this is what they're going to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And not just that, you can use articles or character witnesses like me yep. to back you up. Yep. You know, you can you can say this. So again, this is the woman who we're supposed to, in addition to like the whole self hate piece. Um. Well, also in regards to this article, the guy um got really upset and he's like why did you do this to me uh why did you paint me as this this is not what i said like you can look at the thread this is like i love black women why would you uh put me in an article and make me in a poster boy for being like the next george sodini and she just started laughing at him she started like quote tweeting him and mocking him and encouraging all these other uh shea butter feminists to kind of dogpile on him and she, he started considering getting a lawyer then he decided it wasn't uh 
worth it, you know? And I was like, if you want to get one, I spoke to him. I said, I'll help you crowdfund it. You know, I'll, 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 I'll blast it. But he just said, you know what? Forget it. He's out of college. He's trying to get a job. And it's, no, it's not. These same people that are begging for crumbs from the tables of people that don't give a damn about them either. I mean, because think about it. Like we said, you know, they prop them up. And then what, what do they gain from it? You know what I mean? Have they built anything? Have they created anything tangible? No, they just get a platform. And I mean, we've seen these people through the years, you know, they they write for these publications and then one thing goes wrong. Now they're mad because they didn't get paid. And like these are these people are broken. Yeah. They're they're broken mentally. They're broken financially. The, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're broken. They're broken, you know. But but one of the things that's messed up, one of the things that's messed up is, yeah, she doesn't move the needle. Yeah, in the big picture, she's not really doing anything. But it doesn't change the fact of what her intent was. Like, oh, like, absolutely. The only thing that, uh, yeah, yeah. The only thing that's the, a saving grace is that in the big picture, she doesn't matter. But she tried it. That's that's the that, problem. and that she and that's the to, dangerous like, thing. The dangerous part is that you you will go to what you're basically saying to me is that you'll do anything for white people's attention. You'll do anything exactly you know even if that means you know to and hell with a slave play you'll fucking put yourself in slavery in real life <laughs> and, but, but 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 you know it's crazy right it's like, like this person thinks she's an activist and that she's on the she's one of those people that'll probably tell you um if she gets in an argument with you that she's on the front line no, fighting for yeah. you you know that, that's her favorite thing to say we're on the front lines but i mean she made it clear that you know most of her life she didn't really like uh have a good relationship to herself yeah you know uh as a black woman that she had learned about blackness in college and they shed like all these issues and she enjoys like slave play but you know she thinks of it as she doesn't understand how white people work because she's because she thinks that it's doing a service by supposedly quote showing white people to themselves and you know keeping them from running from their whiteness because that's what they want and it's holding their feet to the fire yeah. she doesn't get that but she doesn't she doesn't like black men like like because she's basically trying to get black men killed in her art yeah, absolutely and trying to say so like what is she about what makes her a black person that you know a white liberal has the audacity to because because that's the problem with identity politics and essentializing just the fact that she's black well, well first things first, the white liberal like, that like, throws, like, you know? the, the white liberal, I don't mean to cut you off, uh, the white liberal that throws her out there, they don't like black people. So let's get that out the way. They don't like black, they don't like black people. They don't like black people, but, but but they don't even think about them as anything besides just the fact that they're black. Yeah. So the fact that, I mean, first of all, I wonder if he actually did read her body of work, you know, that'd be even more disturbing because it would be like, if you read her body of work and you still think that she's somebody who should carry weight with other black people, right? you know... That's very damaging. But if you didn't read her body of work, then why were you uh, giving her opinion so much weight such that, you you know, um, she should be used as a bludgeon to bludgeon other black people to fall into line and, and submission? Well, I definitely believe that they, they've read the body of work. But this is another way that white supremacy refines itself. You know, this is a way yeah. this is a way that you can throw stones and hide your hands. I don't like black people, but I found a black person that will agree with me. In a roundabout academic person, kind of way. Yeah, and that black person has made it clear they don't like black people. Like exactly. Them, so so know, I don't have to say it. And, I mean, it's just another... I mean, the, the white supremacists are slick, man. You know what I mean? Some slick, I slick mean, motherfuckers, they, man. They are smart. They know They know what's They know what's what. You know, they they got a lot of practice. Yeah, I mean, sure. and it's not hard to find a self-hating black person. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I was... 
one quick thing I want to say, right? Somebody, there's this um Asian writer. She, uh, her name is Diep Tran. She seems to be Vietnamese, and she um has written in New York Times, Playbill, Hello Giggle, and some other places. And she was raving about slave playing. So she's an Asian blue check. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's interesting is how these people are kind of all the same in a way. Like, you know, these people of color um, blue checks. And she wrote this tweet, How to Watch Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. One, see slave play. Two, read Jeremy's vice piece on decolonizing your desires, which is the same piece that we read earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, his lifelong obsession with um, white men and how he learned to weaponize his whiteness to... Um, no, weaponizes blackness to win over, win over white men yeah yeah white men and number three in her in her steps right so number one see slave play number two read his read his article number three be reminded how much you've prized whiteness in your own love life because you wanted a white prince feel betrayed by your own libido that's what she writes about herself so she's just saying see slave play read his piece then self-examine how much you you've prized whiteness in your own life love life because you wanted a white prince but this is a part I find interesting. Feel betrayed by your own libido. Wow. That's kind of that's kind of fucked up, the feel betrayed by your own libido part, because that makes it seem like it's not your choice yeah. to, to be fixated, that it was just your physical body betrayed you. Because what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, as an Asian woman, white men are just so naturally more attractive than Asian men that your body couldn't help but be more attracted to them. Like it kind of lets off socialization, white supremacy, um, propaganda, mm-hmm. all that stuff off the hook. Like you're you don't value white men in your brain and heart because your physical libido made you do it. Your physical libido is drawn to white men because of what's in your brain. Yeah. It's the other this way is a around. Physical, this is a psychological, you're, physical, physiology, physio- physiological thing. You can't you can't yeah, help but, it, but 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 the psychology is dictating. No, she's saying you can't help it, but she's saying that you that you can't help it because the physical urges are dictating her brain. But I'm saying that her brain, her psychological state, her conditioning, her you know, her mind conditioning the physical, like like it's making her libido act like like there's a lack of agency that she's giving herself. She's thinking she doesn't have agency. Like her her body is is just getting wet and getting heated by white men on its own and then you know her brain is just following suit and first that gives her no agency you know for her own um conditioning and number two what does that mean then does it mean that um white men are just so much naturally more attractive than everyone else that they activate so it's not your fault it's the libido's fault and and your libido is doing it because white men are just naturally the most attractive thing it's it's like it's interesting how, how these blue checks Minor- as minorities are just consistently just kind of weird and self-hating and confused across the board. She's, you said Vietnamese? Yeah. So we know about the relationship between white men and Asians, Asian women. Yeah. So that's another part. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. They, they actually have a head start on a lot of um, these things that we're going through now in the black community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this stuff goes all the way yeah, back to yeah, but, Vietnam, World War Two. This goes the Korean War. This goes all the way back. You know, um, there's a lot of a lot of older guys, black and white, that are you know uh, where I live is a lot of veterans where I live. And one of the things that they all have in common, yeah. a lot of them, they're in their they're probably 70s now, but they have a kid over in Southeast Asia somewhere. Oh yeah, you yeah, know what I mean. Sure. Or they lived over in Southeast Asia for years. 
you know, and they came back with their wife. She's either Vietnamese, Japanese, something like is in majority white. There's a couple of brothers, you know, but majority white. And it's like I knew I know a couple of guys that go over to Thailand all the time. They and the thing about it is they I don't know them for dating women here in the States, but they're always in Thailand. And they, they got pictures with girls and you know what I mean? Like it's that connection between being white and American and Asian women. Like there's just this, you know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, 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 um, um, this is, this is the last thing. This is the last thing I want to say. And then I'll let you, um, close it out. Somebody, uh, from the podcast Plan A, uh, one of the co-hosts of the uh, Asian American theme podcast Plan A, Oxford Condo, he reminded me of something that I forgot, which is um, Insecure's writers, and you know, it's also Insecure's that same type of camp, you know, mm-hmm. that Black Excellence um, Blue Check camp. Yep. Um, they they had a slavery um, meets scandal parody show within a show happening. You know, it was called Do North, and. Um, due due north was um this thing where you know the black slaves were sleeping with the white slave owners but they were like in love with them it was just like scandal and stuff and listen listen to this and insecure the story behind the scandal inspired show within a show um regina howell and scott foley headlined a fictional show described as a mix between shonda ryan's fiction drama and the slavery drama underground um between isis and laura's surprise impromptu hookup and molly's work trouble there's plenty of drama to go around the second season of hbo's critically acclaimed drama insecure but that hasn't stopped the half hour from adding an intriguing subplot to the mix a fictional show within the show called due north described by the showrunner prentice perry as if underground met scandal the series stars regina hall as a slave who as revealed in episode two is carrying on an affair with her white male master, played by none other than Scandal star Scott Foley. The fictional drama was introduced in the season two opener. It says, the title of the fictional project appears to be inspired by the character's secret meeting spot. Follow the North Star to our spot by the creek, Foley's character told Halls under his breath. Uh, It's called Due North. However, the origins of the show within the show itself is a far more surprising story. Penny says Due North was inspired by a writer's room joke about two writers on the series, an African-American woman and a Caucasian man. We just started teasing them that they were having this sort of affair. It's going to sound horrible how I'm describing it, but he's married to a white writer from Silicon Valley, and we started making jokes that they had this clandestine love affair like a master and a slave because they had lunch together one day in the quad behind our writer's office, and we were like, oh, they're sneaking away. Obviously, they hated it, but they took it in good stride. So we just thought about creating these characters based off of two writers in our room. We just kept making these jokes, and we just thought this should be a show, he said. Eventually, the idea became a reality with the help of Ben Corey Jones and Natasha Rothwell, who also recur on the series as Kelly. They went off and wrote this amazing eight-episode story, Penny explains. From there was up to casting director Victoria Thomas to land some real names for the fictional series. So, you know, they made this eight episodes, uh, uh, slavery meets scandal, um, you know, gutter sex, uh, slave romance series within the series but the real life story i thought was fucked up yeah. right like you see a white male writer and a black female writer go off for lunch and in the writer's room start making slave like like these people they get off on this they're weird yeah. this is their fantasy both the black people and white people they have this consistent obsession with being sexually uh dominated or sexually dominating um 
white people like they have an unhealthy bdsm fixation with uh white people and the more you keep learning about them it's a consistent trend and like scandal itself low-key like the show dear white people had a scandal show within a show mm -hmm. in it you know like uh it wasn't slavery themed but it was scandal themed but what i posit is that scandal itself is low-key that it's a modern version of slave, slave play, play. Like, yeah. you know yeah yeah scandal is that they just kept pushing the envelope like they prime us like scandal was the um first step to that but scandal has those domination power dynamics um master and slave type of um you know that bedwinch trope yeah they 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 play on that you know you know you know what i mean like um so 50 shades of gray right when they had to debut their trailer on network tv uh and 50 shades of gray is about bdsm mm -hmm. they chose scandal as the show to debut their trailer on these people aren't stupid yeah so they, so we were right all along yeah yeah because these people have focus groups these people uh know things they wouldn't choose scandal accidentally no. you know they know that that something about that show um pushes the same buttons as bdsm like, like that's the same undertone yeah. like you know so it makes sense that um the insecure writers would um that the insecure writers would think about combining scandal with uh over slavery because it's already that in disguise right they just kind of brought it to the brought it to the surface that's why it works so seamlessly that's why there's no no problem doing it that lady in the root uh daniel belton who wrote that fiction story called dominate in the root yeah where it was just about a black a, a white powerful person dominating uh a black girl sexually with bdsm uh feminist jones does bdsm novels like a lot of these shay butter people like are into this shit particularly with, with white people that woman uh that dominatrix that we discussed the last mm -hmm. uh, couple episodes ago who claims she's uh giving feminist theory to um white men like you know they have this um yeah they have this weird weird fixation they're, they're obsessed with just... uh slavery and sex yes which which is you know for them they're using it as a their this is my kink bdsm you know yeah and and they've all grown up with majority white people yeah. they've all had weird I issues with their blackness they've all been through some kind of uh therapy but with no black people to guide them uh through their uh trauma they've all kind of developed this weird stockholm syndrome with um these white people they can't connect to black people they have all types of issues um dealing with them but they you know can't really fit in with white people either and they they're in this kind of like limbo you know yeah it's it's yeah it's scary it's, it's scary because it's, it's like they 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 they're trying to it's almost like they're trying to fight for a way out but they just keep getting trapped in this big circle they're they're in this this box or in this circle and they're just stuck there you know what i mean they can't get out and they're using their blackness or something attached to their culture it has to be something attached to black culture and of course they always use the worst the worst thing possible slavery yeah um somebody once said and i thought this was pretty good somebody said um dear white people is short for um because that's another one of these type of shows that is in the same family mm -hmm. of you know shows and people said someone says dear white people um stop being racist so we can sleep with you wow. like, like 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 the only reason that uh they want you to stop being racist is so that they can uh well that was the key to the dear white people the movie yeah you know? yeah exactly and you know as 
as usual, like, it goes without saying. I don't think we have to keep saying this, but it doesn't hurt to. Like, this is not something to say that all uh, interracial relationships, of course, are um, rife with these dynamics. But we're talking about a certain type of person that is rife with these dynamics. And because I I always feel like... uh, it's important to point out that we're not trying to indict everybody. No, 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 you know? no, it's, not at all. It's, it, it, yeah, it's not even indict. It's not even um, an indictment, you know, because, I mean, black people can have their own types of uh, issues in their relationships. There's no, there's no guarantees. It's just that, but you have to call a spade a spade. Like, you know, these dynamics do it do happen, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. These, these things are happening, and, and the thing about it is, is that, if we don't, if, if people don't start calling, and the thing about it is we're not just, you know, going zeroing in and saying, oh, they're that. We're trying to, we're trying to break these things down and try to figure out where this mindset comes from. Why would they want to do this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Why, it, why is that, yeah, why exactly. is it important it, to you to keep bringing up slavery when you're talking about your sexuality and the things that you're into sexually? It always comes back to slavery. But but slavery is like a big joke to them anyway. Exactly. Because um, but, but because the two do- like um, on insecure, they always making Harriet Tubman jokes. Yeah. They always like like the slave iconography is just shit to wear on t-shirts to look cool. This is like like you no know, like some episode where Issa Rae is wearing like a Harriet Tubman shirt, and uh, one of the characters Kelly is joking like they love joking around and trivializing reparations. Like uh, this character Kelly says how you know she teaches white people a lesson by doing the taxes slightly wrong she's an accountant right. you know that's our reparations i fuck up the taxes and like come on reparations is like based on real generational 400 year trauma like don't make it a punchline to like a joke about you know doing your taxes but, but it's also like, in like, vogue it's don't, also don't. in vogue to be one of those type of people where because you attract those you know those creamers so you you by you wearing the natural hair the septum piercing the harriet tubman t-shirt and all those kind of things you attract i'm i'm, I'm, I'm making and, and making uh, reparations yeah. jokes yeah. so that you don't take it seriously. Yeah, that, that attracts those creamers. That, they but, like but that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it probably advertises them to a certain type of white person. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You, you're, that, you, you attract those, yeah, yeah. the type of white people that, you know, they're into activism and they're into Now, they don't really give a damn about anything tangible for black people, but they're up. They, they love yeah. the optics. They love how it yeah. looks. And it, and it also can't. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um the two dope queens, they like they had like jokes like you know oh my uh white boyfriend was running his fingers through my hair and then I was like um who's am I picking the cotton or are you picking the cotton yeah. and like it's not even like a funny joke that's really it's, yeah it's really like, weird like, why do you have to keep making yeah but she she was doing it right right there again she was trying to mix sexuality and slavery yeah. like they just can't, they just can't help themselves it did a to trivialize uh slavery but then also diffuse it the dynamics of it with uh sexuality and um you know the idea of bdsm it's like it's almost like the cultural trauma of slavery like intergenerationally you know it's such that when these people grow up um so immersed white people they end up subconsciously almost uh processing or filtering their relationships with them through um that dynamic that it just becomes um I don't, I don't know what it is, but that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, if you are in a healthy uh, interracial relationship, it almost behooves you to be extra aware of this stuff because, you know, to, to prevent uh, falling into, you know, those traps. Because something about it seems to be very easy to fall into based on 
all the evidence we're seeing. It seems like, you know, I don't know where I heard this, but there was a story about a black woman who um, was getting married to a white guy and they never had sex and uh, they got married. And then when they had sex, she was like frightened because he had all every type of racist, you know, type of uh, ways of talking to her while they were having sex. And it freaked her out. Oh, I, th- I, I, I think that was in essence. It, it, it was it was a it was it the one that was a um, it was like a Dear Abby type. article, yeah. but it was like, you know, my husband can't stop saying racist. But, you know, it's funny in that article. I always remember if I could find out put in the show notes. She still made sure to throw shade on back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Her husband was calling her all these. Husband was calling her all these racial slurs and nigger bitch this, nigger bitch that. Because let's be clear, he's still better than any black man I date. Right. But what's how do I get over this? I'm like, but it's like, it's crazy how she's stuck in this conundrum with the. You still have to try to. Yeah, it, she's stuck in a conundrum. With, but you know, I don't know how old that article is. But now you see how it's flipped. It's almost like they're accepting it. Like, come on, call me a nigger bitch. Call me, you know, run your fingers through my hair and I'll pick the cotton and all this kind of shit. Is like they think it's tongue in cheek. But what they don't understand is that it's empowering these people that they think is, you know, there for that's there for their struggle and everything. But really, they're there for the optics. I mean, it's it's very in vogue and in style to date a black woman with the natural hair and the septum piercing and all this other kind of thing. You know, because that wasn't in style 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, and so now all of a sudden no, it's no, it changed. It really? Yeah. It's kind of like I was watching uh, Rapid from 10 years ago. And, yeah. You know, it's like how things change so, ra- so radically. I was looking at um, Still Tipping and the clothes were so baggy yeah. like how was this only 10 years yeah. ago like i noticed in fashion changed that drastically like you know i feel like dating is the same thing yep. like 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 the social landscape is so different 10 years ago like uh th- this whole afropunk thing is like came out almost like a whole cloth and just took over yeah yeah now it's cool to it's, to let your white boyfriend like i have a i had a client come in and she's she's just like them and she was like telling me about now first of all this person she doesn't have a job. She's trying to find a job. And you could tell that, that she's really struggling, you know what I mean? Especially financially, like even when it comes to looking at her clothes, like she's just struggling, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But one of the things that I noticed that when she came into my office and I started talking to her about, you know, building her resume, job, all these kind of things, what ended up happening was she started segueing talking about her boyfriend. Now her boyfriend's a white guy. And she starts telling me about how she gets into it, people on social media because of her feminist trolling tactics and so i'm not saying anything i'm just listening to her you know what i mean and i said oh okay that's that's cool you know so that i go on about my business and then she goes well i have to teach him I'm talking about her boyfriend i have to teach him yeah. and i i told him he needs to tell his friends that when they're around other black people they're talking about race they don't need to say anything they need to be quiet you know it's, it's those type of people that are really out here you know she she's one of the first people i've seen that took her social media and put it into her real life Oh my God. And, and, and that's what I mean about this whole, uh, white people, white allies, like, you know, be quiet. And it's like, you know what? Let them talk. That's how you learn game. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, shut up and just, just sit there and, and see what they talk about. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but no, she's going to sit there and talk them to death. Yeah. She wants to talk them to death. Right. Yeah, and she's the one that doesn't have a job. She's the one like like listen to them. Find out you know you can find out where the jobs are. You can find out um how they make their money. You might find out stock tips. She might find out something, but she's gonna go in there and just get nothing but you know. Well, at the end of the day, he's looking at like this. Well, if I want some pussy, all I gotta do is shut the fuck up and let her talk for twenty thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's gonna get no game out of it. She doesn't get upgraded. Yeah. 
uh, she's gonna get her her game upgraded in any uh, sense of the word. She's just gonna have no, no memories, but she gets know, her instant gratification um, for feeling important important for the day for having yeah, a non tangible yeah, conversation. Exactly, exactly, and then that's just gonna stick with no, her. no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all done. If you have anything uh, you want to close out on, oh man, it's been great. Uh, I can't believe we knocked out two shows in a row, man. Um, hopefully, check on check yeah, on Mario. We gotta so. check on Mario. Like, see how, see how he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he kind of disappeared on us, but I hope he's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I lost track of how long this episode is. It might even be long enough to break into three, cause cause I don't want to make people download too big a file at yeah. once. You know, that's yeah. I don't want to make people put giant files in their phone and take up a lot of space. So I try to keep the size of the files like like reasonable so so we'll see but uh yeah so this was a good one man i uh so I so the show day. you're going to is january 9th it's january 2nd oh, january 2nd and he said that he said that uh to let him know uh when i'm going and you know he'll talk to me after it should be interesting he said he might even come on the show i mean i did a couple more threads after that and i did this show so who knows if the offer will still be open (laughs) (laughs) security might toss toss me out when i take you out by your collar and just throw you out the back alley (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i mean if he wants to come on the show man we're i mean we're not gonna like eat him up i mean we're all men no we have a good cordial conversation about what the fuck is going on inside your head yeah yeah exactly like i'm not gonna let him off the hook but i'm not gonna like come on come on to ambush no no like no, he seems. I mean, like, when I saw the interview, he seems like a pretty nice guy. He seems like he's really he has um he's sincere about what he's doing. Like he's not trying to um I don't know. I, I don't think he's trying to be like a lot of the the blurs that we see on Twitter that are really doing things just for optics. Yeah, yeah, and, and, but he didn't seem nasty. Like like what that what that Soraya McDonald did to um that guy. Yeah. You know, where where she's trying to like take him out of context and turn him into like you know the next Elliot Roger and stuff. Yeah, he's not, and I don't think he's doing white that. people that. Yeah, yeah, that, that that woman was nasty. That's that woman is nasty, and she's harmful to I think black people based on that. Yeah, she's nasty and she's she's harmful to black people. This guy, he may be harmful, but I don't think he's nasty. I feel like he might be misled. He might be. I, I like think he's he, harmful. I think his ideas may be harmful, and he, it, you know, ignorant doesn't mean he's stupid. It just means he doesn't know. But I also think he might be harmful to yeah. himself more than anything. Exactly, he has this kind of issues going on, and you know, I don't. But I don't think he really has like a malicious like hate toward, no. toward black. No, people. I didn't. See I didn't that. get that from watching his his interviews. No, but uh, yeah, man, have have a good night, man. We we'll go check on uh, check on D, see <laughs> and see how he's doing, man. Definitely, man. Uh, all right, man. All right, hey, have a good uh, surgery, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. For people who don't know, I'm having surgery uh, tomorrow morning, and I'm hoping it doesn't take me out of commission for too long. But hopefully you guys can do some shows without me. And, you know, that's always, that's always fun for me to hear what you guys do when I'm not around. Yo, just remember this, man. Jack off with the other hand. You got two arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's still... The, the, the other hand's still, still recovering, too, man. I'm, 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 I'm screwed. You're screwed, man. I'm screwed, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, be good. All right, man. Be good. <laughs>